On today's episode of Melanated Conversations, we amplify the voice of Dr. Courtney Floyd-James. Dr. Courtney Floyd-James is a nurse scientist and pediatric nurse practitioner. With an extensive background in leadership, public health policy, and primary care as a pediatric nurse practitioner, Dr. Floyd-James began research interests related to maternal child health disparities while practicing as a pediatric nurse practitioner in a well baby nursery in a postpartum unit. Listen in as Dr. Courtney shares her expertise and research findings in the exploration of racial identity in Black mothers and how they may influence their maternal functioning and their risk for postpartum depression. Welcome to Melanated Conversations, our narrative and our perspective. Here on the podcast, we are amplifying the voices of Black women and sharing their powerful stories of transformation. I'm Tarian. And I'm Yana. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of Melanated Conversations. I am your co-host, Tyrion. And I'm your co-host, Yana. Yes. And so welcome back, guys. We're back for another episode in season three. And we've got a special guest with us today, Dr. Courtney Floyd-James. And we are just going to be having some wonderful conversation with her talking about... um, all sorts of wonderful things, or not wonderful things, but important things as far as healthcare for Black women and mothers, all the things. And so, welcome, uh, Dr. Courtney James. Thank you for joining Thank us you. today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It, of it course. A- Would you remind you, you? You prefer us to call you Dr. Courtney, Dr. James, or just Doctor? What, whatever you know pleases you long as you say the doctor is okay, okay. <laughs> God, I was gonna say, you, you earned it you earned it so we go make sure we uh show respect oh you're uh, fine i know dr courtney floyd james is a mouthful uh, i'm recently married so i tried to you know use it for a little while but it'll probably just shorten to dr courtney james so you can call me courtney dr james dr courtney whatever Whatever oh, comes right. out is fine. Well, whatever we, we we will say, please say the doc. Please so, say right. the doc. <laughs> Congrats to you. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, well, you guys, you know, as always, before we get into our melanated chat, we always like to play a fun round of what we used to call rapid fire. We have now changed the name to don't don't drop the mic. OK, so Dr. Courtney, would you like to play a couple of rounds with us? Of course. OK, we so you don't have to kick it off. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll answer these as well. I'm um, just going to throw out, I don't know. I'm going to throw out one question. Maybe yeah. one question for today. Yeah. Um, so my question that I have for you guys is, what's a word that people use now that you weren't allowed to use back in the day at grandma's house? Oh, <laughs> it's so many. But I would say, like, why? Ooh, <laughs> you could that, not ask why. 
You and if you did, right. it was like because I said so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was good enough for us because we didn't. I mean, we weren't like these empowered youth nowadays who, or I would say these evolved parents and their empowered youth who would who give explanations. Like I'm that parent now. I give explanations. Um, not that I feel like I need to explain myself, but just to make my daughter uh, inquisitive and empowered to ask questions. Yes. Um, yes. So yes. I do explain certain things, but yeah, I think why. That's a good one. I actually didn't even think about that, but that's, that is legit. That yeah. is so legit. That oh dead word is still. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a grown woman. I can't ask my mom why. No. Mama, <laughs> granny, nobody. <laughs> right. Nobody. <laughs> no one. And it's funny because I'm the same way with my girls too um, now, Dr. Courtney, where, you know, I try to explain things to them or give them explanations. Same reason, like not to just accept an answer from anybody. Um, although it's different, obviously, being their parent, but just to get them in this, you know, in the habit of, you know, you still want to question. You just don't take everybody for whatever they're saying and go with it. Um, right. But um but yeah, why? That's a, that's a good one. I think for me, and I'm not going to say I, cause I don't necessarily use it, but I just hear people use it a lot more. I, see, I think you're about to say my word. Go ahead. Sorry. Word I'm thinking anyway. Okay. Cause, Shut up. Cause one thing, it's, I don't know if you know, oh, Dr. Courtney, yeah. we're cuz we're first cousins. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we have so the, same the same grand experience. Yes. Right? So <laughs> I'm interested to see what Tyrion is about to say. Yeah. No, my word is shut up. My, like, oh, yeah. Just, you mm-hmm. just don't say shut up. It was just a, it's a nasty little word. It it's is. It's a nasty yeah. word. Yeah. You can, say, can hush, say hush. Be, yeah, right. say hush mm-hmm. or be quiet, but you yeah, better not say shut up. Better not. You better, find, you better looking at the stars. And Man. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. You will get I tell pops. my daughter that now. Mm-mm. Dang. I don't even want to hear you talking to your friend and say shut up. Like, you're exactly. not going to say that. Yep. And I feel like my mom and my grandma at the same time. And I'd be like, ooh. ooh, Man, that is real. That's real. Okay. What about you? This word still gives me trauma to this day. I find myself and I hear (laughs) you say, I'm like, ooh. My grandma and mama ain't even present in the room. I just feel like, oh gosh, I can't say that. So it's kind of like got (laughs) gotten to the point where my girls don't say it either. Or if they do say it, I kind of look like, I'm like, okay. It's just been embedded lie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Three words. Yes. You cannot. You been that say you a lot. You a what? A what? Who you think you're talking to? That part. That part. Who you talking to? Now we could say fib. Or telling. Yes. Or telling a story. Right. But you better not say lie. You got a good one. Cuss word. Yeah, I never. How, well, how did that become? What lie? Yeah, lie. I don't know, and I want to know the origin. I I am definitely right. curious. And somebody black mama. That's <laughs> it. Somebody well, black mama was like, "Oh no, you in grown folks' business? You don't come in right. here trying to tell me that I'm a lie, right? I'm grown, right? <laughs> and that's it. I don't know. It just became like disrespectful. I re- I'm gonna ask my mama. Cause you're right. Yeah. yeah, that's something you don't say. Oh, don't and don't put those. You a lie. Ooh. You a lie, and then uh-uh. it's you calling me a lie. Oh. Not a liar. You a lie. A lie. You a you, lie. Nothing about me is true. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> My Ooh, entire yeah, being. That's bad. Man, you may as well go to your room. Don't even. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was that word still holds trauma for me. No, I, mm-hmm. you, before you go, right, before you go to your room, you might want to pass by the closet and grab a belt though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so mama and granny, if y'all listening, I was just saying it for so the people know that you don't say that. That's all right. All right. <laughs> I wasn't saying it for real in real life. <laughs> Oh, no, that was good. That was good. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> well, Dr. Courtney, thank you so much for playing a round of Don't Drop the Mic with us. Uh, oh, I feel like we could go more. We can go longer, but I think we've got more important things to talk about. And I am just so excited to hear all the wonderful things that you're going to share with us today. But before we get into the, the meat of the conversation, um, our listeners and, and Yana and I, we want to know more about just who is Dr. Courtney James. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what 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 your roots are? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. I'm all those things that, that black women are. Um, and so I'm also an army brat. So part of my childhood was spent in Germany and the other half was in South Carolina. I went to college um, in South Carolina at USC, uh, Southern, you know, not Southern California, South Carolina, the University of South Carolina. Yeah. Because um, some people still be like, oh, you went to, no, no, just just South Carolina. Um, and then I came to Atlanta after I graduated. So I've been in Atlanta since 2006. Um, where I started as a nurse here in Atlanta and then went back and became a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, I recently graduated over the summer from the doctoral nursing program at Georgia State, so I am now officially um, a nurse scientist. So that's that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of, of me. Yes, I love it. How was that experience of being, you know, an army brat, of, of living abroad and moving around and yeah, so I think, you know, growing up, I wasn't like aware that oh, I'm being exposed to so many different cultures. Um, but it, it really did shape, I would say it shaped who I am now and, and many of the perspectives and beliefs and ideals that I have, um, because our school was kindergarten through 12. Um, and although we were all children of people who served in the army, my father was in the army, um, we were definitely of all sorts of ethnicities and religions and, you know, races. I mean, I remember being little and knowing that this man looked black to me, but he played this like salsa music when he washed his car every Saturday. And I was so baffled because up until that point, every person that I saw that looked like me was American. They were black. And so I learned that his name was Miguel and he was Cuban. And I learned all these things about Cuban people and that they can look like me. And, you know, just growing up around Germans and and people who were Portuguese. And I mean, just so many different people. And that was just my everyday life. And so when I came here to South Carolina, it was just completely different um, for for various reasons. Uh, I never had to deal with racism until. I was in South Carolina. I mean, and Germany, as we know, was like the birthplace of Hitler. But growing up there, it was not a thing that people praised or followed like Hitler's teachings or ways. It was very discouraged. And we don't, you know, 
we will never be there again. From that history. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If you ever saw anything about Hitler, it, it was like in a Holocaust museum or something of that nature. There were no statues. And, and we definitely learned about Hitler and how, how all that came about, but it was not in a sort of reverent way. It was very much, we will never be here again. And so to come here and it was just completely different. Of course, my tone of voice was different. My accent was different. Um, I had never heard like, oh, you're cute for a dark skinned girl um, until like I was in South Carolina. And so it was just very different for me um, in shaping my my thoughts and, and beliefs. But all those experiences, I mean, of course, not everything in South Carolina was negative. Um, but just all those experiences definitely shaped my thoughts about the world and and just knowing that people are different and and wanting to share those experiences with my daughter as far as traveling and seeing different parts of the world and stuff. So, yeah, I think it was nice being an Army brat. Well, I I just want to say two things. First of all, I stand a cultured individual. So Mm -hmm. I love, 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 love that. Uh, Number two, I think that you, I don't know if Yana would agree with me or not, but I think you will. You're the first person who is like, I personally feel like you answered this question in pretty detailed, or you gave a lot of detail, I think, to everyone Mm -hmm. for me. I don't know. We may have had one other person, but... um, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's all. I love <laughs> really because some people and I know it's you when you answer this particular that question about what your roots are, you know, you can get you can answer it however you want. Yeah, you answer it mm-hmm. however you want. Um, but just for you to kind of give a little more depth and detail um, and, and even going as far as talking about your childhood and, and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. That's all. Oh, yeah. It, it, and I think, you know, my experiences growing up kind of explains why I am the way I am now. So I could go on, but you know, um, I won't keep, keep the people here all day. (laughs) We're not going to stop you. Do you have any siblings? Do you have any siblings? I have a younger sister. I have a younger sister. So, um, how old is my sister? Child, don't give me the line. Uh, see, that's what I word. Uh, I know we're seven years apart. So I think she's 30. Uh, okay. Or maybe she'll okay. be 30. Look, her birthday at the end of this month. So she going to shine the devil. Um, so I think she'll be 30 at the end of this month. But um, yeah, so that's it. It's just me and her. And we are like night and day, but we sisters through and through. And mm. nobody better not mess with her um, except me. Um, <laughs> right. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah. So when we came here, so in Germany, we were pretty much like on our own. It was us and our parents and you know we had to make our own support system well my parents did as far as support stuff because there was no family like I remember our family here in South Carolina would literally ship us VHS tapes of like the Cosby show and the different world and Pee Wee's Playhouse so when I came here especially when I was in college and we would have like outings with all you know, all melanated people. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, you remember good times? Oh, you remember this? And I'm like, no, I didn't. 
I never watched Good Times. And they be like, oh, I'm going to take your black card. Like, uh, <laughs> you don't know, Good Times. And so then I w- I've always explained, like, I grew up in Germany. I didn't come back over here until I was like nine. It's not my fault. Like, I felt so bad because I didn't know. I didn't know Good Times. So I spent most of my adult life trying to catch up on all the shows that my family couldn't, you know, VHS ship, you know, tapes across across the pond um, to me so I could still feel like, you know, I was growing up as a black American while in Germany. So right. Right. Did you the people want to know, did you ever catch up with the Evans? Uh, no, no, I did um, not. Like I'm, okay. I'm briefly I'm briefly familiar, um, but I just did now the Jeffersons watched all of those. I'm trying to think of some other things. Like, of course, like coming to America, things like that. Like I was born yeah. in 83. So okay. like 80s Did things. Yeah. Let me start. Yeah, but I can't I can't go way back. You know, people will go way back. So I'm like, no, I've never, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Right. So yeah. The only one I'm missing is is good times. But I, I'm vaguely familiar. So I think I get a little bit of a pass. So okay. you were going? Go ahead. No, I was just asking. So you were born in Germany? Or? My sister was born in Germany. I was oh. born in South Carolina, but oh, okay. we moved to Germany. I think I was t- one or two. Oh, okay. okay. Question, does that give you dual citizenship or because the most bases are technically U.S. soil? That's different? Right. Okay. I do not have dual citizenship. Got it. Got it. Got it. That would have been nice. Yeah. Right. So I could, you know, be somewhere else right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying. maybe 2016. <laughs> but, <you> know. Listen, <laughs> we feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, thank you for giving us a glimpse. I, I feel like I was watching like a little movie. I could see like you experience live through just just you talking about it. So, yeah, thank us. for Thank you for taking us on that journey. Yeah, um, no problem. But. Okay, let's go back to you mentioning that you're a neuroscientist. Come on, somebody. Y'all better give give Dr. Courtney her props. Um, So when did you know that healthcare was the route that you wanted to pursue in your life's work? So when we came back to South Carolina, uh, a lot of my family members had health issues. Um, I remember like we were a very much extended family was close family. Like I would call my great granddad, like Papa, like there was no like, oh, this is my great grandfather. And this is my great aunt. Like everybody was aunt, uncle, Papa, whatever. And so I was very close with all these, you know, generations of people around me. And so a lot of my family members had diabetes, um, high blood pressure. Um, just different things. Like I remember giving my aunt her insulin shots probably when I was like 11 or 12 um, and going to all these appointments. And my great grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. So I would help, you know, essentially babysit or watch her to make sure she didn't do anything to endanger her own safety. And at the time, I just looked at it as, you know, I'm part of the family and this is what we do as family. Like we take care of each other. But it was also like a very nurturing and nursing thing for me to do because I was always curious about like, what is that medicine and what does that do? And, you know, when the hospice nurse started coming to take care of my great grandfather because he had cancer, I wanted to know, like, what what is this? Why are you doing this? Um, And so I was I always say I was a nurse before I ever knew 
like what a nurse was. And so as I got older, I realized like, oh, well, I enjoy this and this doesn't make me squeamy or this doesn't make me nauseous and other people get nauseous when they do this. And um, so I wanted to be a nurse because I really wanted to develop a bond with my patients. And, and sometimes in my exposure to healthcare, everybody that came and was able to sit in the home or sit and spend time and laugh and joke with my family members who had illnesses were the nurses, the doctors were kind of in and out. Um, and so that's why I said, oh, I want to be a nurse. Um, so in 2001, when I graduated high school, I went to college to be a nurse. And so it just kind of grew from there. I think I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. And so once I got my bachelor's degree and started working here at a hospital in Atlanta and just seeing you know, different experiences I had with my patients because um, I, I worked here as a postpartum nurse. So I took care of mothers and their newborns. And of course, you know, occasionally it would literally just be a mom and their baby, but often it's the mom, the father, the baby, the auntie, the all these extended family members there to support and just like providing education and and you know, this bond that I would build with patients. I'm like, well, I want to be on another level. I want to be a nurse practitioner and I want to take care of of these kids. And so I went back to school to be a pediatric nurse practitioner because I've always loved children. Um, I felt like one of my rotations in college was um, an oncology unit for children, so children with cancer. And that just kind of touched me in a way that I had, you know, it tapped into some feelings that I had never experienced before, which is kind of the catalyst for me, you know, being a pediatric nurse practitioner. And plus, you know, I always thought, oh, I'm going to have a lot of kids. When I get older, I'm going to have like five or six kids. And then I realized how much they cost. And um, I had one and that was it. And so I figured as a nurse practitioner, I could take care of many kids. And, um, so that kind of fulfilled that that desire. But yeah, so I really went into nursing because I was just innately, I guess, a nurturer and caring for people. And so as a nurse practitioner, I would often, so I've been in primary care, meaning like a pediatrician's office where you would take your child for mm-hmm. well care visits, but I was also and inpatient. So in the normal newborn nursery, just taking care of newborns and then going and speaking with the parents about any concerns that I had about their baby. And so, and oftentimes I would go into the rooms and, and want to talk to the mothers about their child. And especially um, Black women um, would have questions about their own health. Um, like, I uh, remember one mom was like, well, I never had high blood pressure while I was pregnant, never had it before in my life. Now I have it after I've had the baby mm-hmm. and nobody's telling me why I'm on these medications and I don't know why. Can you explain this to me? And so, of course, like I'm not her women's health care provider. Um, so I don't know anything, you know, in detail about what is going on with her. Um, but I found that this would happen more and more often that black women felt a certain level of comfort in in discussing things with me that they may have discussed with their primary provider and maybe they felt like they were ignored, 
or they didn't like the answer they got or they didn't understand um, how it was explained to them. And immediately, you know, they would they would ask me and want me to explain things to them in a certain way. And so from there, I was like, let me go back to school so I can do research about black women um, and get us some justice, some answers that we need for our voices to be heard, for our stories to be told. And one of those ways is by doing research. Um, Because I felt like often when Black women are included in research, it's to be the comparison group. Like Mm. white women are this way and Black women aren't. Or white women do well in this, but Black women don't. Um, Black mothers die more often than white mothers, you know, things like that, but never to figure out why is that? It was just to say, this is the way it is. And like, who said that, that white women were the comparison group? Um, and I felt like if there were more black women doing research about us, then maybe we wouldn't be the comparison group anymore. Maybe there would be people who were more interested in learning just about us and, and telling our stories and figuring out how to better serve us as a group and not just to, you know, compare us to someone else and figure and to kind of uh, validate the, the statistics, you know, so that was part of the reason why I went back to school to get my PhD so I could do research that was, you know, for us and by us and about us and all that good stuff. No. Thank you so much. Um, there are so many things that you said. I was trying to take some notes so I can like make sure I, I touch on those. But first and foremost, again, like thank you for seeing that need and actually stepping in to stepping in to step up to fill a void that's so needed in our communities. And um, I know that is like something that is so common because I know just from my own personal experience when I'm sitting in a room and a black especially a black woman female um healthcare provider or as a doctor or a nurse comes in is like I, I don't know I can't explain that feelings like mm-hmm. this internal like she don't know what is going on with me yet, mm-hmm. but she knows me. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's a, there's some like deeper rooted connection. Like you know the um, external environmental factors that um, mm-hmm. are typically faced, and the different struggles, the different access needs, and I don't have to like go through this whole process of explaining mm-hmm. not only my symptoms but explaining my you know experience. Yeah. as well so that you can like I don't know if that makes sense but it's just definitely that definitely um, makes sense it's like I feel seen I'm like she ain't seen yeah. me yet but I feel seen right. <laughs> oh I see you we see you <laughs> right the other thing I wanted to say too was I um admire um your your lead in into healthcare. like mm. you know you you took time to process and knew like, I want to be on the front line. I, w- I want to, you know, deliver that, that, that care firsthand. Not saying that doctors don't, but like you said, it's, it's a little different from how nurses, nurses are always by your side. Like when you page and that's the first one that's going to show up usually is that is, is your nurse. And I hate that sometimes there's a stigma place that if you're not a doctor, that, you know, that they, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Doctors deserve their props too, but that doesn't mean that you guys don't have the same level of knowledge to care for an individual too. So, um, and the fact that you, you know, you led with, you know, I want to be first hand in delivering care and I'm just going to continue building up on that and, you know, expanding my research. And not only because you, um, because you are on the front lines and you do have that such close um, kind of proximity relationship with your patients, you're on the ground, you get to hear, you get to see more often what those needs look like to know, like where you are now, like, I want to research in this area. I keep seeing gaps here. Um, So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to commend you on that. I'm sorry to take all y'all time, but that's all. (laughs) Oh, no. You know, we all need those little nuggets that, you know, of reassurance that kind of empower us and motivate us to keep on going. So I appreciate all your support and kind words like that. That gives me a little energy to keep going. That's why I do what I do. I got more because you couldn't do. I couldn't couldn't get past, me and Terry about this all the time. I couldn't get past chemistry with them balancing equations. So I could be you just for that alone. Don't take me back. I I remember. I made it past chemistry. It was physics that kicked my tail. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Y'all can have this. This ain't for me. I don't have it. Lord, I guess my life work ain't physical. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I just, I pick it. I'm going to piggyback off Yana too and just say, you know, my experience is having children and. And yeah, you know, the the nurses were the most memorable part. They were with you the entire time through labor. And even when you were, you know, going through your well appointments and, you know, doctor come in five minutes, look at you and leave. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, the nurse is there by your side, checking up on you, throwing a blanket on you if you need an extra blanket. You need some ice chips. My nurse for my postpartum experience. I, I I love it. I, and I had I had my first labor and delivery, my delivery, I had a traumatic experience and we'll talk more about mm. that later. But um, and then I did I did suffer from postpartum high blood pressure after my second child. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nobody told me nothing. What is mm-hmm. this? But um, anyway, like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But I do. So, yes, I, I appreciate the work that you are doing, especially for black women. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for standing in the gap for us. It is so appreciated. Um, and and I, I want to know for you, when you were in um, nursing school and going through the process and all those things, how was that journey for you in particular, being a Black woman and getting to this place in your career? What was your experience like? Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, I've been to, back to school three times. So each experience was different, not only because there were different professors and, and things like that, but also that I was at a different point in my life with each one, mm-hmm. you know, getting my bachelor's, I was a young, single, early twenties, like living my best life and I'll show up to class as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take advantage of all these Greek parties and I'm going to live it up and I'm also right. going to pass these classes. But it, you know, I was just in a totally different mindset. Like I was free from the house and I was, but I also wanted to fulfill, you know, my, my desire to be a nurse. So I I honestly, I was 
in college and undergrad, I was really figuring out who I was. So my blackness and, and all that good stuff in relation to the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. it, it was great. Like I honestly, the University of South Carolina had the largest percentage of black students than any other PWI in the nation. So I, I often felt like I was in my own little mini HBCU because um, I could go to all sorts of events and gatherings and it was just black people. Um, and I loved it. And granted, it was not an HBCU. We did not have like an amazing drum line and homecomings. And that was just amazing. Um, so I, I'm still trying to grapple with that. But mm-hmm. it did shape, I think, you know, my, I don't know, my just desire to know more about about Black people and their experience. Um, for my master's program, it was very different. Um, there were, I'm trying to remember if I ever had a black professor in my master's program. I really mm-hmm. don't think so. And it was a program that was built for people who were already working as nurses. So oftentimes the classes were at different times and I really wasn't on campus a lot. So it was a completely different experience. And I do remember often feeling discouraged, um, or asked like, well, why would you even do this? Because you don't have much experience in primary care. Um, just, it was very hard. Like I, I remember being discouraged a lot um, by different professors. And and then I had my daughter in the midst of trying to finish up a master's program. And at that point it became, no one is going to discourage me from doing this because this is the way that I can provide a better life to my daughter. So no matter how hard this exam is, I don't care if I'm up until, you know, 1 a.m. once my daughter falls asleep so I can study for this exam tomorrow. Like that's what I'm going to do. Um, And so I remember like I was literally in tears um, on graduation day because I did it despite all the discouragement. Um, I, I explicitly remember a professor telling me you would not have passed this exam if I didn't give you the 12 points you needed. You would not have even graduated. And I said, at first, it, you know, imposter syndrome can be real. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I didn't even, I wouldn't have even passed this test if she didn't give me these points. So do I really belong here? But, you know, I feel like my ancestors were in my head saying, but she didn't just give you those 12 points. Um, then she give those to everybody. And mm-hmm. so I asked, I said, well, you gave the 12 points to everybody though, because overall people had issues with those questions and the majority of the students got those questions wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, well, yes, but you would not have passed if, and I said, well, it sounds like a lot of people would not have passed if, so maybe the questions are worded a little tricky. You know, because I had had it. I had had it up to here and there. And so, you know, it was just like, let me get finished with this. Um, But I I would say my doctoral experience was completely different. Um, I was surrounded by a lot of Black female professors who saw value in my work and Mm -hmm. supported me. And I I think I'm very fortunate to know and to have a lot of friends who are also 
um, black women who have PhDs Mm -hmm. um, that were very supportive and didn't minimize my desire to learn more about black women and our experiences. Um, I was very much uplifted and motivated. Um, I got several different scholarships to pay for my doctoral education, um, one being uh, the Southern Regional Education Board, which main goal is to um, pay for the tuition uh, for black and brown uh, doctoral students so that there can be more black and brown professors uh, to support black and brown students. And we would have a yearly conference. And I kid you not, it was hundreds upon hundreds of black and brown doctoral students who were interested in learning more about us and putting forth our stories in a way that wasn't told by other people. Um, mm-hmm. So when you say that, um, so Tyrion, when you said that you, when you saw a Black provider, you feel like I am seen, they know me. Um, so every year when I went to that conference and it was hundreds and hundreds of other Black and Brown, you know, male, female doctoral students, not only did I know they understood my struggle and could have come into the same situations where they were they were being discouraged by professors. Um, but I also knew that we were all in this to give back and to to tell our stories. So it was, I mean, my doctoral program and the experiences around it um, was amazing because you're not only doing this for yourself, you're also doing it for your community mm-hmm. and for, you know, Black women. So it was because if you if you do something for black women, you essentially changing everything for black people. Because mm-hmm. we are mothers who Come then on. go on to raise children, who then go on to change the world. So yeah. I just literally I felt like the future of many people is on me um, yeah. in doing this work. So it it was amazing, honestly. It was mm-hmm. very fulfilling work to do. That warms my heart just to hear that your yeah. experience was so well. Actually, that was Yana that said she felt she felt seen by okay. her providers. But you did. Um, well, my story is actually a little, it, not janky, but it's an interesting, it has an interesting little plot twist. Yeah, we'll um, get to that in the We'll moment. get to that later. But yeah, that, that, that was Yana. But that warms my heart, though, really, just to hear that your experience is so, has been... M- really positive. And I think that also, I think in some ways helps to keep you once again, motivated to keep pushing the strive to be able to get into these programs and the, and the research, you know, it keeps you fired up and motivated to keep pressing on. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, to be able to help not only just black women, but black people um, overall advance and, and, and be healthy. Um, so I, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Yes. And while we're kind of on that subject, um, let's kind of talk a little bit about your doctoral studies, your dissertation. Um, I know mm-hmm. your dissertation explored the racial identity of Black mothers and its correlation with their maternal functioning, um, mm-hmm. postpartum depression symptoms, and bonding with Um, their infants. Can you shed a little light on this research and how you apply the research within your own practice, as well as, you know, educating other fellow practitioners? Mm -hmm. And so um, when we talk about racial identity of Black people, it basically means how you feel about the fact that you are Black in this country. And so 
there are very different types of racial identities. And so some people are very um, Afrocentric. Uh, they love being black and there's nothing you can say about a black person negatively in their space. Um, and I'm sure we all know people who are like that. And then we have people who hate themselves because they are black in this country um, and everywhere in between. Um, there are different identities. So there's an identity called multicultural where people love being black, but they also respect other ethnicities, um, basically other groups that are present in this country, whether it's their ethnicity, their um, sexual orientation, their gender, their religion, you know, they love being black, but they also respect differences and appreciate differences in other people. And so Previous research has shown that whatever type of racial identity a Black person has directly sort of has a relationship with their mental well-being. And so it almost seems intuitive that a Black person who hates being Black would have higher levels of depression. Um, and then, you know, people who feel like they need to assimilate with the dominant culture. So that would be Black people who feel like they need to adapt to, in essence, white culture, if, if we want to say white as a culture, but white uh, beliefs or ideals like the, the American dream, things like that. Um, mainly, my interest in doing that research was that the national average of postpartum depression in this country is anywhere from 10 to 23 percent of new mothers. Um, but as we all know, Black mothers may not necessarily be heard um, during their visits. Mm -hmm. um, we deal with all sorts of things, whether it's racism, whether it's meeting the expectations of everyone around us, um, maintaining everything that we do while maybe struggling in various ways and adopting to, um, adapting to motherhood. Um, I was just interested to see if there was a relationship uh, with our racial identity and our postpartum depressive, depressive symptoms or our ability to function as a mother. Um, and so that was my research in, in looking at that. And so what I found is, one, that the mothers in my study had a higher, um, I don't want to say rate, but there were more moms in my, in my study that were affected by postpartum depression that had postpartum depressive symptoms than the national average. So 29% of the women in my study had symptoms of postpartum depression. And then I found that the mothers who hated themselves because they were Black um, were more likely to have postpartum depressive symptoms. And that the surprisingly, the mothers who assimilated with the dominant um, culture or dominant race in this country with the white race had a higher level of mental well-being than than any other racial identity um, group in my in my sample and so that was kind of shocking um, for various reasons um, just based on findings in previous studies that showed otherwise and then it kind of encourages you to figure out why is that so that that will be my research, you know, long term. But um, my main goal was to see if there was a different way 
to, to assess postpartum depressive symptoms in Black mothers. Um, often the tools that we use are created by white scientists. Um, one of the most common tools, the Edinburgh Postpartum uh, Depression Scale, was actually developed in Edinburgh, I think it was Ireland. Um, so clearly that was made um, mm-hmm. for white women mm-hmm. with typical psychological symptoms of postpartum depression, so excessive crying, feelings of worthlessness, possibly harming themselves or their child, um, not having the motivation to do anything. Um, symptoms like that, where research has shown that mothers in various countries of Africa have physical symptoms. So while they may not, you know, cry uncontrollably, they may say that they feel like there are ants crawling in their head or on their neck, Mm -hmm. or they have certain different types of pain. Um, Just, you know, their signs of depression may present differently than the, I guess, Eurocentric idea of depression. And so that is what I was also curious about. So there may be a reason that those mothers who assimilated or who assimilate with the dominant um, race in this, in this country had a higher sense of mental well-being because they are similar to the people who designed the tools in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those who do not, those who are Afrocentric, who are very proud of being black, they may have different symptoms of depression or that tool may not work as well to find depression in these mothers because they experience it differently. Um, so it really just, my research kind of opened a can of worms for me to try <laughs> to figure out, you know, going forward. Um, but in order for us to the 29% of those moms who had postpartum depressive symptoms that who never received treatment, um, whether they asked for it and did not receive it or were told they did not have it or did not feel empowered to disclose those symptoms with their provider, someone needs to be able to figure out that they are experiencing depression um, in ways that resemble the way they're experiencing it and to help them. No, that is a um, man. Um, I had a it question. Was, it was a long study, so <laughs> yeah. it's a lot to try to, you know. <laughs> I feel like I'm, 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 I'm not, not PhD qualified, but I, I, at least I should get a certificate. Um, <laughs> Crash <laughs> <No>. course, <laughs> right? I don't know if I missed this part or if you said this, if you did, I'm sorry. Uh, For some reason on my end, um, it kind of went in and out. So I hope that um, everything was okay. I think y'all said, I think Terry said you heard everything. Yeah, I could hear everything. It it picked everything up. Maybe I'm just having some issues. But um, one thing I wanted to ask was um, in your research, um, did you find anything that that correlated with generational traumas, especially as it relates to black, um, individuals in your research, like how that can translate into a lot of the depressive symptoms that we um, may have? That's a really good question. Um, but no, I did not um, kind of delve into the various factors that can relate, uh, sorry, result in Black women experiencing postpartum depression. Um, eventually I will get there, but that was not included in, in this study. But it's a very good point and definitely can affect our mental health. 
Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, let's talk about the superwoman persona. Um, can you explain to us what it is? We're, we're, we're familiar, familiar with it, but for us, for our listeners, can you explain what it is and how does it relate in particular to um, the mental wellness uh, illness uh, factor um, that's unique to Black culture, um, which ultimately creates unrealistic expectations for Black mothers? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, you know, first of all, it's important to know why this kind of persona began, that Black women are are super women. Um, and it was really created to kind of counteract all the negative stereotypes associated with Black women. So the um, mammy stereotype or the Jezebel or the welfare queen, welfare mom. Um, I don't remember who started it, um, but the superwoman persona was started to show that, you know, we're we're not these negative stereotypes, but, you know, superwoman persona is a stereotype in itself. And it kind of means that black women can be all things and be everything to everyone, even to their own detriment, um, that we can do it all. And so Dr. Woods Giscombe kind of did some research, not kind of did, she did the research, uh, she's a Black woman, did research about this superwoman persona to try to describe what that is to Black women um, so that we could figure out how it, it affects our health. And so when we think about poor health outcomes, whether it's pregnancy-related death, high blood pressure, lupus, um, just various different health conditions are a result of chronic stress. And so one of the things that can lead to chronic stress in Black women is the superwoman persona. And why is that? It's because, you know, you still try to do everything despite what you're going through. and eventually it can affect our mental and physical health. And so that would be a cultural aspect for Black women that is unique to Black women. Not all women of various ethnicities, you know, feel the need to be strong regardless of what they're going through, does not feel the need to suppress their emotions so that they don't become a burden to other family members. You know, just these different um ideals that are associated with the superwoman persona. And because we load all these things up or culturally are supposed to be the strong one in the family, um, it could, you know, lead to negative health outcomes. It could lead to essentially the breakdown of our physical and mental, mental health. And so I feel like it is important to explore this in Black women because it could explain you know, why we have such adverse or such poor um, pregnancy-related health outcomes, whether it's premature labor, whether it's um, uh, low birth weight babies, whether it's pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, just different things. Because stress can, stress, whether it's caused by the superwoman persona or stress because we experience racism day in, day out, whether it's at work, whether we go to the store, whether it's being exposed to everything on, you know, these various news channels mm-hmm. all day, every day, you know, it does affect our levels of stress. And we are still expected to do 
everything that we do regardless. And that's just part of our culture. And so it, it can affect our, our health. And so I feel like we need to explore that more. Not that it's our fault, you know, not that, oh, Black women try to do everything and that's why y'all are the way y'all are. Mm-hmm. It's not placing blame at all. It's just to better understand how we deal with stress, mm-hmm. um, what causes our stress, and how to better care of ourselves, create interventions or, mm-hmm. you know, programs, different things to to lessen that burden, essentially. No, um, it was something that, gosh, I lost my train of thought, um, that you mentioned. I should have wrote it down. Did you have something? No, I mean, once again, you 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 were really breaking stuff down for us, and and you know, it's one of those things like we being black women, we experience, we're aware of these things, um, but then they get the academic side of it, and you really kind of laying it out even more in, in detail um, is is and sometimes too me. we don't put we don't link the things together like oh yeah these things That's, really like build upon each other or correlate in some way like this is a direct reaction of this and absolutely um i think that's a lot of what you know not only for us but i feel like those who don't live this experience who are not black women um mm-hmm. to illustrate that story cuz sometimes if it's not if it's not spelled out in research and academics it's not validated in a way Although we as women and black women can tell you what our experience is like is it's sometimes we still get this. um, Terry, we were talking about this the other day about. Yeah, it's uh, uh, the word, the word, the actual word is, is passing me by right now. Centrism. I don't know. That may not be. (laughs) But just basically people just trying to qualify your word. And basically saying, oh, when it comes to especially black academia um, and research, Mm -hmm. and if somebody if a a white counterpart is reading or reading a book authored by a black person or, or, or academic work, then they try to qualify it by being like, oh, this is really well written or this is really well researched Mm. or I, you know what I mean? And it's like, at the end of the day, regardless of the research or whatever information I put in this, like a lot of this, these things are just true in general to our experience. My experience should be valid enough for you. Um, but unfortunately, y'all don't ever believe us when we tell y'all stuff. So I got to put it in an academic research paper or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I've got to do all this extra mm-hmm. legwork to make to make sure that you understand what I'm trying to tell you is going on exactly. in our community, which sucks. But, yeah. you know, and sometimes to the occasion and do what we need to do. Yeah. Right. And sometimes right. there's countless. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, you know, to your point, Yana and Tyrion, is that part of wanting scientific evidence mm-hmm. is helpful, but it also cannot be helpful. Um, so just to draw similarities, like with everything going on with coronavirus, if if somebody just says, oh, if you sip hot tea all throughout the day and blow your nose 50 times, that will protect you from getting coronavirus because it protected me. Like if somebody were mm-hmm. to say that. 
right? We could say, oh, well, that's her experience and, and she doesn't have coronavirus, so we should all do that. But academia and science will say, well, first, before everybody go and do that, let's actually do a study with like, you know, 500 people and see if when they do that and live their life, how they've been living it, if they also get coronavirus or not. And so part of it is that, yes, your experiences are valid. And I mean, real, Mm -hmm. but it could be a coincidence. It could be, oh, well, that happened for her, but it doesn't happen with all these 499 other people. So is it really valid? Um, And so, again, that's why I felt the need to be a nurse scientist, because like you said, like you both said, we all know whether we out having our sister girl brunches or it's like, okay, let me call my homegirl so I can vent about what just happened to me at the doctor today. Like we all know that these experiences are real and they're not just a coincidence because they happen to more than just us. Mm -hmm. But until there is enough, unfortunately, until there is enough evidence to show that this was not just a, you know, anomaly. She was not just the exception to, and a victim of the healthcare system. Like this is what is happening. You're right. Nobody feels like it's necessarily true. It's anecdotal. It's not, you know, based in science. And Mm -hmm. so that is definitely why I do what I do. Cause really I'm just giving all the women who have vented to me or shared their experiences a voice. And I just happen to have PhD, you know, at the end of my name and know how to make my research strong so that if, like you said, a counterpart or someone else tries to come through and tear through why I said what I said, or can we really say racism is related to these poor health outcomes? I can say, well, I took all these measures to make sure that the other confounding factors didn't influence Mm -hmm. my outcome. Only I can do that because that's why I went to school. But I'm really just being your voice in a different way. I'm just telling your stories in a different way. So I definitely understand your point and your frustration. And it's definitely way past due. Um, Because for the longest, a lot of poor health outcomes of Black people were always attributed to you know, income, lack of education, lack of healthcare access, and all these various things. And there are many different programs and, you know, interventions to address those. And yet still, our health outcomes are poor. So it's not just that Black people don't have all this education. It's not just that Black women get, you know, pregnant younger, you know, not even that these things are necessarily accurate, but forever things have been attributed to our, you know, our own experience. Like, you know, well, they live there. That's why. Or they don't have good insurance. That's why. And even if we have all of those things, even if we are, as Black women, the most educated, you know, high income earning, have access to health care, have good insurance, we still die more than other women in childbirth. And why is that? So it's not just that these social determinants of health that they call um, are affecting us. It it very well could be what you all are saying that we experience different um, various ways we experience racism, whether it's at work, whether it's just going to the store, whether it's our healthcare provider minimizing or ignoring our experiences. 
like we must be heard because our experiences are real and this is truly affecting our health. So yeah, I hear you loud and clear. And I wish we would have been heard a long, long time ago. Maybe we will be in a, a better space now. Mm, yeah. Yes. But you know, um, like you said, things are changing and part of that change is because now we are being we are taking we're taking on those reins, like, like you stepping in and like, I need to do this research. So we, sometimes we are our own advocates. We are our own ones who pull us out and and get it out. So yes, um, I appreciate that there is some movement of the needle. Um, but of course with everything, there's always more that can be done, more work that can be done. Um, before we get ready to wrap, I did want to just touch on um, we were, you know we talked about um, the your your dissertation and and um, and then we talked about um, the experience from just being black women and seeking health care. Um, can we sh- talk a little bit about you know which is a valid thing the lack of trust mm-hmm. um, that historically that not only just black women, but black people in general have when it comes to healthcare and and seeking healthcare um, and how we can move beyond, you know, really being more proactive with our health um, as it relates to just in general, as well as us being expectant mothers. Cause we know that, you know, the maternity, the the maternal mortality rates for black women, Mm -hmm. especially in the U S are like, Man, that's a whole that's a whole talk right. itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how can we um you know move beyond, you know that piece of, you know I guess removing this layer of like distrust. It's, it's a yeah, how do we learn yeah, to trust? Distrust. How do we learn to put our faith back in the healthcare system basically? And become our own advocates. Yes. You know, um, it's kind of difficult because based on our history in this country, um, as black people, of course, we have been, um, you know, affected by or victims of unethical medical treatment from the Tuskegee Mm -hmm. experiment and, and even further back, you know, um, OBGYN, gynecologists doing experiments on uh, Black women um, Mm. without sedation um, to figure out, you know, women's health things. I mean, just very inhumane treatment. So there it is just in in Black people not trusting their healthcare provider. Not only the historical piece, but like you all have said, you go and you disclose things and you try to talk to your provider and you're not heard. Um, so it is as a healthcare provider and a researcher, it is hard for me to just say, you know, well, we, we need to participate in research. So we'll know more about ourselves, um, or, you know, you need to trust your healthcare provider so you can get the things you need. Cause that's, it's not, it's definitely not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in my perfect utopian world, I'll all of our healthcare providers would look like us and understand us and and be our advocate. But unfortunately in 2020, we are in a place where we have to be our own advocate, um, which is honestly, it's absurd because 
while I am a healthcare provider, I don't know every healthcare thing. Um, I have a particular specialty and that's what I know. Um, so for someone who may, whether you're educated or not, if it's not in healthcare, how could you really know if this is the best treatment for yourself? You may know that you feel bad. And even after you went to the doctor, you still feel bad. But would you know that it's because you didn't get the right treatment? Um, so just a, a short story. Um, my sister, who I told you all about, is younger than me. And she um, had her son a few years ago when she was 25. Um, it just so happened that we had snow here in Atlanta. And so you all know the, the city shuts down and I couldn't get on the road mm-hmm. when she was in labor and because um, she's still in South Carolina. And so I'm literally on the phone talking to her while she's laboring and while she was at the hospital. And she's 25, her first child, absolutely no issues whatsoever. But the only issue was that it was Friday evening. And so her doctor insisted several different times that she needed a C-section. Um, and had I not been on the phone to really ask, well, what do you mean she has a fever? What was her temperature? Oh, it was 99.8. Well, that's that's not a fever. Mm-hmm. Um, so she doesn't need a C-section. Well, the baby's in distress. Okay, well, let me see the strip um, from the fetal monitor. So I now, granted, I don't really know how to read a strip. Um, but I, I was going to fake it because <laughs> I'm like, my, my nephew is not in distress over there. Yeah. Um, but they don't know that I didn't know. Now, granted, if he really was in distress, I wouldn't have, you know, questioned them. But it just felt like it was a reason after reason after reason why my sister needed a C-section. And I'm like, she does not need a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it was just that he wanted to be able to deliver this baby so he could go home for the rest of the day and go to sleep. Wow. Now, this was a white white male provider. Um, and of course, all physicians do not act this way. All healthcare providers do not act this way. But in this instance, this person did. And if I had not been there on the phone with my sister, every time this man came in the room, she would have felt like, okay, I need to have a C-section because my baby's life is in danger. Right. She, you know, she is not educated in that way. And, and everyone is not, everyone is not a healthcare provider to know, no, I think I'm fine. I don't need a C-section. So it, it's really absurd to expect us, the patient, um, to know what's best <laughs> as far as healthcare and, and their treatment. I, I really, I'm just as frustrated as the rest of the Black women, the you know, black men, black people, brown people in this country who are ignored. Um, And I really don't have an answer on how to progress, except I guess one feasible way, since like I said, we all can't, you know, go to school and become healthcare providers so that we can take care of ourselves, although more of us should, um, so that we can uh, take care of each other. But it would be to a lot of what is going on now is to face and call out acts of racism or acts of discrimination or call out the fact that black women need to be listened to and we need to be heard. Um, Because I think 
often things are kept quiet or swept under the rug and nothing is done about it. So the only way to address it and resolve it is to continue to call it out um, and not just allow it to continue to happen. And then, you know, as a Black woman, I often feel like saying we need to train these people to be aware of their biases and aware of their prejudices so they don't do it anymore just seems very elementary Mm -hmm. and very like we are way past that at this point um because part of me feels like if you're ignoring people you kind of know that you're ignoring people so what kind of training Mm -hmm. would we do right um but i guess that's the pc thing to suggest um but i also think the real solution would be to dismantle the entire system of of oppression and racism um which would take far much longer than you know a training class um right because it's kind of built into the system um so i i honestly don't i don't know how we how we move past this except to continue doing what we always do um which is to speak out against things and don't feel afraid to try to find another provider Mm -hmm. um which depending on your insurance, depending on where you live, depending on various factors, there may not be another healthcare provider and you're stuck with this person who will not listen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I honestly, I, I wish I had better solutions. Um, but for now, that, that's where I am with it. Um, and if you have somebody who can be an advocate for you that is knowledgeable about whatever you may be experiencing, or even if it's not someone who's necessarily knowledgeable, but someone who is not afraid to to be in that discomfort at the office. Because, you know, sometimes if you're on a doctor's visit and it's just you and the provider, and if you're like, well, no, you told me to do that last time and it didn't work, like I still feel this way. Mm-hmm. Some people are not comfortable in that confrontation. So my sister is younger, but she is definitely like, <laughs> she does not play. So... <laughs> And I'm very non-confrontational. So if I wanted somebody to be there for me to speak up, even when I feel uncomfortable, she would be that person. Um, Which is interesting because it was totally opposite when she was having a baby. But, um, you know, just having somebody there to be like, well, no, you did not answer her question. Or no, I don't appreciate your tone that you had with her. And no, I'm going to need her record so we can find another provider. You know, it's just really hard to to be a person who needs health care and needs attention or needs treatment, but you also have to sit here and fight and argue and be your own advocate. It, it's exhausting. Um, <laughs> it's exhausting, but we just have to keep speaking out against it and hopefully, hopefully change will, will occur. Yeah. I do want to, I want to ask you something and this, this might have to be an off the records. So we may have to take this part out, but I do just, because we're kind of talking, we're talking about this right now. And this plays a huge part in part of my story. Do you think that, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm asking you this, but do you think that um, kind of earlier, earlier when you were talking about how, you know, you even got these different sects of, of black people, black folks and how they identify themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think or have you personally seen within the realm of healthcare providers where there may be 
black physicians who um, unfortunately have fallen into the grip of white supremacy and and just and and believing all the lies. And so um, unfortunately, they're not they're not offering the best health care for for you as a black person. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you have you seen that? before now I, I will say mm-hmm, I'm sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead I'm sorry no um I will say that I have never personally seen someone ignore um a provider because they have kind of assimilated or adopted um the ways of white supremacy I will say that medicine in general, research in general was tailored to uh, kind of help white men mm-hmm. or then white women. Like black people were not always at the forefront of, oh, let's figure out this treatment that works for all people. It was right. more so let's figure out this treatment that helps white men. Um, and so um, I don't know if y'all are heavy on Twitter, but I, I've recently been introduced to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Not recently, but it's been a while. But um, there was a lot of talk about how just in medical books and how you learn is based on white skin. So right. even skin conditions, you know, if black people have it, you don't necessarily know what it is because all the pictures were of, of white, white skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I don't now true there very well may be providers who don't want to be black in this country so they feel like they need to assimilate with white supremacy mm-hmm. or or whatever and may mistreat patients i have not um seen that but inherently there is you know white supremacy throughout medicine based on how it was founded and began and so you know there is still that culture present. Um, but like I said, when there are more people who who look like us, who want to be our advocate and, and do right for our community, you know, yeah. hopefully that would get better. But no, I personally have not seen, I'm trying to think, but not, mm-mm. I will say sometimes if they're, so like if you're, going through rounds or if you're going through, um, I want to, like if you're in in class, if you're an intern or if you're in clinical rotation and the person who is your mentor, you know, has those ideals or feels like, oh, here's another person coming in here seeking pain meds. Like they're, they're probably not in pain, like underestimating black people's pain um, or underestimating our what we're there for that could rub off on you and it or because this person is essentially your superior or your boss you may not feel comfortable in saying well this person actually has sickle cell and we don't need to underestimate her pain we should help her how she needs to be helped because again you're having this confrontation and it can be uncomfortable right and so now i am aware of that where your mentor can relay like, okay, I need you to go in and see this patient. Tell me what you think. It's probably just that they want pain meds or it's probably not that serious or we're not going to admit this person, but let's just go ahead and assess them to make them feel like they've been seen or whatever and we can get them out of here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like that, 
that can happen. Um, and people can be put in, in very compromising positions. And if you're not careful and if you're not aware, then that would become your own culture and caring for people. Um, so that that's definitely an issue. Well, I think the, re- the reason why I asked was because I did have my, with my first daughter, I had a, um, a, a black physician and um, she, and, and she was, honestly, she was wonderful. I, I liked her very, very much. Did not have any issues um, literally until, and it, this could have just been a honest to God, a, I don't know, a fluke type of situation, but labor deliveries fine. I delivered my baby. Um, and then I start to bleed out <clears throat> and mm. we suddenly, I don't know if things just started kind of going out of the window. I don't know if it was because it was kind of a frantic type of situation. Um, they can't stop me from bleeding. She's asking me all sorts of questions. And I'm thinking to myself, these are questions that should be in my file and my chart. You've been caring mm. for me for the last nine, 10 months. Like you should know these answers. Why are you asking me this? I'm laying on the table, cold legs and stirrups. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm about to see meet Jesus here in a minute. If we don't, somebody don't fix this situation. Um, and, and another healthcare provider happened to be walking down the hallway and, I don't, I don't know if somebody kind of pulled her in and said, hey, this is going on. And she knew immediately what to do. And, and they were able to get me to OR and stop the bleeding and all that. But um, I was kind of like, it scared me so bad. I was like, I, I don't want even like, I'm gonna have to find somebody else. And I was like, I didn't want to do that because this was like, the, Yana knows where we live. That's hard to find a black healthcare mm-hmm. provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so sad. And I think by the situation, cause I was just like, what, what is going on? I remember, and my sister-in-law is an OBGYN. I remember like <clears throat> telling her what happened. She was like, oh my gosh. She was like, we, like when that happens, like we know instinctively what you're right. <laughs> like the fact that she didn't mm-hmm. pick up on that. She was like, that's just, that was just odd. And so, you know, I did end up finding someone else. Um, that was great. They weren't black. And I hate that because I, I it was like Yana said, it is something about having black physicians growing up. My pediatricians were black. You know what I mean? Like the, my dermatologist, mm-hmm. my eye doctors were black women that I went to growing up. And I wanted that same experience as far as being a woman in, in my health care and for my children. Just the area we live in that, like I said, that was hard to come by. So when I found it, I was like, man, we're going to hop right on this. And then I had a bad experience. Um, so I was like I said, that was kind of more of an off the record and I was just trying to I want you know I just wanted to ask you that to see if there was oh yeah that's that's no problem I'm I hate that you had that experience because you know oh that's I can't even imagine the fear and just the 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 panic and the oh especially like having having a baby and then you're thinking, am I going to be able to see my baby? Like I didn't get happening? to bond am with I her. On my way out yeah. They are like right. rushing me out of the room. And I was like, I feel like I was on an episode of ER. Like, right. You know, I running cannot down the hall. imagine. Yeah. But your, your, your relative, your cousin, I think you said, who is an OBGYN is absolutely right. Oh, oh, my right. sister. Yeah. My sister-in-law. Yeah. Sister-in-law. Sister-in-law. Absolutely right. When, I mean, I'm not even an OBGYN. I was, you know, a floor nurse in, in postpartum and in mother baby. And I've had women, you know, have what's called a postpartum hemorrhage when they do bleed out. 
and I know like what we need to do um, that I can start initiating on my own, like IVs and methogen and all this stuff. And if that doesn't work, we need to get her back to the OR because there's some placenta or if you're a C-section, there's an artery that was probably nipped. So I don't know. If well, apparently experience my, on her behalf. I think or, it may have been. She was fairly young and, 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 and from my understanding was at fresh out. They told me that my, um, what is it? The top of your uterus, your fund, what is it? Fundus mm-hmm. or something? Your fundus. It collapsed. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. was, and the, my sister-in-law was like, usually they just, they know to kind of put a fist in you. Sorry to be crazy. Right, right. Put a fist no. in you. Oh, you and don't have to be sorry. Help, <laughs> to help with that situation. But anyway, I didn't want to, exactly. I didn't want to take up, take up anyway. I was just curious from that experience and just, yeah. You know, yeah, I've definitely dealt with, with that to the point I've literally like had my fist. I felt like I was going through somebody's back yeah. like, trying to get their fundus back burn. Right. Because um, you will definitely bleed out. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, that was maybe that was an experience. But I mean, I was probably 22 in See, there. Thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's unfortunate, though. That's yeah. scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had to have blood transfusions, everything. Mm-hmm. I know you did. <laughs> I'm up, first of all, I'm over here. I don't know if you saw my mouth this whole time, Terry and girl. I didn't even like, look over at you. When you think you know a person, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, that was with Zoe. I was I was scanning the calendar in my head, like where was I in the world when she delivered? You said Zoe. That was, that was with Zoe. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of somewhat remember you having complications, but I guess I don't remember the details. Yeah. And I think when Dre had maybe t- after she was born and Dre texted maybe my dad or something, he just said, pray. I think he had maybe asked everybody to pray for her because she had she was having complications. And I don't think we ever went back and really into mm-hmm. detail about what happened. But yeah. Because uh-huh. that's traumatic in itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. reliving. Yeah. So you like, hey, we made it through. Let's, yeah. It takes a while to talk about. Man. Talk and then it was like, OK, do we want to have another kid? And I was like, if that's going to mm-hmm. happen again, I don't want it. And exactly. I, I remember telling my new healthcare provider, I was like, listen, this is what happened to me. Can you make sure this does not happen again? And mm-hmm. she said, I promise you, she's going to do everything in my power to make sure that this is the most uneventful pregnancy, labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. And thank God that it was besides the fact that I ended up having uh, postpartum high blood pressure. But other than that, like mm-hmm. the, the experience was I was like, oh, I could do this again after after I had autumn, I was like, oh, that was, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. I'm happy that was much better. Cause yeah. Ooh, child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those <laughs> were, were, were fairly good. Um, I had a, for my first one, I had an instance with, um, the, what is it called? The, um, epidural didn't take the first time. Oh, yeah, that was, that, that, that was that issue. But the second time I actually had a black position, um, love on, um, She's my um, OBGYN and um, gynecologist, and I love her. Um, And like I said, it was just a different experience with her because, like, she knew a little bit more about our journey and our experience and mm-hmm. um and she would really have talks to me because I was like I was still working and doing things and she was like no 
um, I need a really, she's like, I see the stress in you. And she was like, I'm going to put you on bed rest. And so she, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she was Good looking very, out. Good and, looking out. Sis. Yeah. She was very proactive <laughs> really? about making sure like, no, no, you send this, this, no, I don't care what they say. Or they, they got you doing mm-hmm. at work. No, no. You put that down somewhere on this baby. Right. I can see this. She's <laughs> like, it's not necessary. I can see the direction that this is going. And she wrote me up some real quick and she was like, I will call them and to make sure that you are home. And, uh, and yeah, I was, I was, um, at home for 12 weeks. I believe. Wow. Um, and that helped me tremendously. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, this, I ain't know that this was, this was possible. Thank you. Right. right. <laughs> um, but the only thing, um, she didn't, she wasn't able to deliver the baby cause, um, my step, my, I want, I mean, I call her stubborn, but she wanted to come when she wanted to come. And it happened to mm-hmm. fall on the day that she was not, um, on call. She was not on, uh, on call that, that weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, I had to get somebody and even her, like, so their practice is her and another black woman physician. Mm-hmm. And they both, um, you'll see, like, she was my primary, but um, they would each have a relationship with all the patients. So just in case whatever wasn't there, they would be their own backup and they would be on call for each other. And I so happened to pick the weekend where she wasn't on call and her, and her, her, um, her partner, yeah, yeah her partner, partner. I guess I had an emergency. So I had to go to their third oh, person. No. Um, and I had never met this lady. I was like, she had carried me this whole way. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> but, oh, man. But the delivery was, it was successful. It was good. But I just really, I really wish I could have went through the, you know, the whole experience with her actually delivering a baby. Because she, like, that experience, although I don't want to have um, Lord, I don't know what your plans are for me, but I, I don't. (laughs) 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 But yeah, that I, she gave me so much um, joy just do that experience. Like I was excited to go to my appointments and just talk to her. Even now, like because she's my gynecologist too. She's up. Uh It's that it's such a different type of relationship. She knows me. She, you know, she knows. I'm not saying that doctors don't have this relationship with their their patients, but like she knows my children. She knows like mm-hmm. she really, truly like, I feel like she looks out for me beyond um, just a doctor patient way, but still like making sure that I'm being an advocate for my health. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. That's wonderful. Give me her number, please. I've been trying. Okay. You Have you sent me her information? She, she gets booked. When I say... Because so I probably need to get on a wait list, then. right? <laughs> no, but um, but yes, thank man. Um, yeah. we've been ta- we can we can continue this talk, but I know we gotta we gotta let you go. So, um, just a few closing things before we wrap for the day. Um, you know, twenty twenty has been a little different year for us, and um, typically we we would like to be guided. You know whether it's a power word or affirmation or something that gets us through the year. Um, what would you, if you can name a word or two um, for be to, that would be your word uh, for 2020, what would that be? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. So 
funny enough, I do that at the beginning of every year. Like some people have vision boards. Mm-hmm. I have a word, um, a word that will be like my theme for the year. And I guess 2020 was like, oh, I'm going to test her in this word. But um, it, it was perseverance. Mm-hmm. And um, just to keep, you know, don't be don't be discouraged. Don't, don't stop. Whatever you have set your mind to do, like persevere and do it. And so that is definitely like my word for 2020, because we know all the things we have faced in this year, my goodness, whether it's on a global scale, a national scale, local, personal. I mean, we have all been tested Mm -hmm. more so than I think we have probably ever been you know, as far as like national issues, global pandemic, you know, the administration and all this craziness. Um, But we can't, we just have to continue to persevere and get through this. And hopefully, you know, one, it might not be tomorrow, might not be the next day, Mm -hmm. but if we continue to persevere, we will make it through hopefully to better times because this has definitely been a year to remember. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We persevering though. We are putting that word to in action for sure. Um Dr. Courtney, do you have any new works, anything new, interesting, exciting, research wise, anything coming up this year? You know, I I defended my dissertation uh, July first. Got married on July eleventh, and I have been uh, and you know I defended, but with revision. So even after I defended, I was still like doing some little edits here and there. Um, so I said from August, I said August I was gonna relax, but that might uh, kind of bleed over into September because I tired. I tied but um i am looking for a postdoc opportunity so i can get my own research uh program started so you know when it's time for me to look for black women to share their experiences i will definitely you know share that with you all and get because you all have some experiences Woo. oh yeah um, <laughs> So I would, I would, you know, love to love to hear more about it and get that information out. So I, I'm sure I'll be sharing some things with you all in the future, and hopefully you can share with your audience to to kind of continue to let our our stories be heard. Absolutely, Absolutely. and let us know. We, I mean, we'll put a call to action out there if there's you know a way that we can get you connected with people that want to help with the study. Um, yeah, let us know. Absolutely. Wonderful. I sure will. Um, but I man, I admire you. You got your paper and your ring in the same. Right. Not even with a week in a point. I said <laughs> you know, I, I'm uh, ambitious, I suppose. I think when you're in the midst of again, the superwoman persona, but I, I don't feel like I signed up for that. Yeah. Um coronavirus actually messed up our wedding. It was supposed to be October 10th, so we could be like 10, 10, 20, 20. Uh, Perfect. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, I'm that sappy type person. So it really was not supposed to be all crammed in um like that. But I just said, you know, babe, I don't think we're because we're supposed to get married in Vegas. I'm like, I don't think 
Vegas is going to be open yeah. um, October 10th. So we need to kind of strike while we can. So I, we had a really, 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 really small wedding to the point they call it a micro wedding. Um, it was like 10 people. Um, and so it just so happened to be the week after I defended my dissertation. <laughs> Cause I said, well, 10, 10 was going to be like a catchy date and it has meaning and it's, you know, and so I figured seven 11 also. Fair had, enough. Yes. You know, yes, so absolutely. it was just a lot. It was just a lot. And I, you know, getting your PhD is one of those things where you kind of have heard that it's difficult and you know that there's only a small percent of the population of the world that has this, maybe like, I don't know, less than 5% or something. I don't know. But so, you know, it's difficult, but you never truly understand until you're in it. Like kind of like labor, Mm -hmm. you know, people Mm -hmm. say, oh, it's painful or, oh, blah, blah. But you don't really grasp that until you're in it. Yeah. And so, um, I think beforehand I was like, oh, 7-Eleven is a good idea and I'll just defend by 7-1 and blah, blah, blah. And then I got in and I was like, I don't know what I did, um, <laughs> what I was thinking, but this this wasn't a good idea, Courtney. But I was, hey, I was in it by then. But so you did. Yeah, I just relax. I did. So I, now I'm done and I'm going to relax and then I'm going to get back on it. Yeah, I commend you. I have some days when I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go and work on that. Well, my doctor, then I snap back into reality. I'm like, no, I mean, <laughs> first of all, somebody got to pay for me to go back to school. Amen. I'm tired of paying for school. <laughs> But no, um, but yeah, look, man, um, you are all the things, Dr. Courtney. And we, again, we just appreciate you. Um, before we do wrap, can you tell our listeners how they can connect and plug in with you and plug into your research um, and all the work that you're doing? Definitely. So, look, I need to remember my Twitter handle. I'm so bad about this. You would think I would know. Um, so my Twitter handle is at K Floyd James. Um, so I am my unapologetic black self on there. Yes, I'm going but, to follow you. Um, <laughs> yes, please follow me. Because, um, you know, I feel like some people use Twitter just to brand themselves and to push out, you know, this information. But I do that. But I also give you my true self and my thoughts on current events or whatever. Um, I'm just me. Uh, so that, that is fun for me, but you can also, you know, ask me things. I've made connections with different, you know, scientists and hopefully we'll collaborate with some research in the future. So, I mean, it's professional and personal. Um, so, and then I also have a website, that's CourtneyFloydJames.com. So I'm Courtney with a K, no U. So that's K-O-R-T-N-E-Y FloydJames.com. And it's just a lot of information about the research that I've been involved with. Um, you know, anything that I will be working on in the future will be there if I need participants for research. 
Um, and I also, whenever, you know, this podcast airs, I'll be linking that on there, all that good stuff. Cause I have truly had fun with y'all and y'all are amazing. I feel like we're like friends now. We are. That's what it is. We that's what outside <laughs> opens up. Like we got to hang out. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we, we got family out that way. My dad's mm-hmm. out the way. Our aunts are out there. Our granny's out there. So that's not a problem. We're good. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like you've helped not only us, but you've helped so many people that are listening um to this. And um mm-hmm. just you you just give us hope. This is what man, these these <sighs> I ain't trying to go try to start a whole nother conversation, but you know, it's just good to see black women moving. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Say it. Uh-huh. Say it. So you keep moving, Dr. Corden, and keep shaking Please. the tables. Yes. Well, well, y'all keep giving me the momentum to make the moves that I make. So oh, I appreciate we y'all. We got you. We be a cheerleader. That ain't no problem. Because <laughs> black women can be some cheerleaders now. Yes, That's indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Thanks again so much for tuning in and listening. And, um, and you know, as we continue to share um, our voices and amplify um, our stories and our experiences, um, again, our aim is to always amplify the beautiful voices of Black women, sharing our lessons and celebrating our successes. And I feel like we have successfully surpassed that that, that today. So, um, I can share. <laughs> so, you guys, until next time, melanate on that. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our chat today. Keep the conversation going by heading to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leaving us a review. Have a story of your own to share? Email us at info at melanatedconversations.com or connect with us on social media at Melanated Conversations. Till next time, keep raising your voice. voice.